Good morning. Glad you uh, came back uh, this morning after last week. Um, I know it wasn't the most exciting uh, sermon for me to start back on. It's hard to objectively see it as gospel-centered unless uh, you're a part of a body of believers like us who understand that everything we do is influenced uh, by the Spirit of God in us, and therefore uh, every area of our life needs to be examined to, to make sure that we are under the leadership of God in that way. Um, so to, to my FBI agent who's listening to me, um, I, will, I promise this week will be better uh, suited than last week. But will you pray with me this morning as we, as we begin? Father God, we learn how to submit to earthly authority because you have caused us to live a life in submission to you. You have freed us from the slavery of sin, the oppression of the wrath that was on us. And you have raised us to walk in newness of life. But that newness is a life of submission and subjection to your will, to your plan, to your authority. The easiest person in this country, the person who should have the least trouble with submitting to authority, is the believer who understands and who's been given commands not only to submit to the authority of God, but to submit to other authorities in our lives. Lord, would you help us to be God, uh, God-honoring and godly in this way? That we would submit not only to your authority, but those authorities that you have placed above us. Lord, help us not to be people of confusion, of anarchy, of lawlessness, because that is not who you are. You are a God who has established laws and rulers and authorities. Help us to be people who follow the God, therefore follows the rulers, laws, and authorities. God, help us to be humble. Help us to be grateful that we live in a country that has laws established to protect its people. Who have people in place to protect its people. Help our leaders to be subject to those laws and to that mentality. That they do the things necessary to protect the people. To protect the written laws of this land. And help us to live in unison together. In unity for your glory. God we love you so much. We praise you. Would you teach us from your word today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Last week we focused on, really in this long section of Scripture, we focused on more so the government's responsibility to its people. Uh, This week, because I think it is there and it is important, we need to really focus a little bit on, or this week on, the people's responsibility to its government. Uh, I think what you need to hear from me after a sermon like last week is this. Almost every instance where 
the writers of Scripture, whether it be in the Old Testament or whether it be the New Testament, almost every instance where they talked about interaction with authority, governmental authority, those writings were put in place to dispel the notion that Christians can live in anarchy. To dispel the notion that Christians can live out of subjection to governing and ruling authorities and be in the will of God. Without exclusion, almost every instance of discussion of ruling authorities in the Bible is a command and a charge for Christians to live in subjection and under the authority of those things. I want to tell you, because, because you, maybe like me, have a propensity to be cynical or at least skeptical of ruling authorities does not give you the authority to object in every single instance. As a matter of fact, if your life is not in consistent subjection to the ruling authorities more than it is an objection, there is a problem with your humility there's a problem with your um, personal state, and that does not come from the government. That comes from you. The government gives us plenty of opportunities to be in subjection that do not dishonor God and do not go into our basic, do not go against our basic principles. What I spent most of the time on last week was focusing on those times that the government oversteps their bounds. And I wanted to focus on that because I think not only now, but in the past and in the future, we will face opportunities to um, object to what the government has placed before us. So I wanted to focus on that. Um, and I guess in some senses I wanted to come back with a bang. So, but we will spend time this week focusing on our responsibility to the government, which we didn't spend a ton of time on last week. So um, I want to take the last half of the verses that uh, we studied. Really, we're going to focus on Romans 13, verses 4 through 7. Um, and Paul teaches us in Romans 13 why we should be in subject to authorities. The first one was why, what we talked about last week, and that is because... These authorities were placed in position by God. And if we are looking at a hierarchical structure, we see God in command. We see the authorities that He has placed over us. If you want to break that down a little bit, it's government authorities. It's biblical authorities, the elders at your church. It's parental authorities. Um, um, even on some level, your biz, the business authorities, you know, the, your bosses and things of that nature. Um, and then it goes down the line. You can, we could spend a day probably naming all the things that we are in subjection to. But God placed this hierarchical structure of authority that He has basically, not basically, He has objectively given us the responsibility those who are led by the Spirit of God to, to follow. Why? Primarily because He placed them over us. 
Paul said rulers are not a terror to those who do, do good conduct. Overall, and I think this has been true in our country, rulers have been placed in a position that has protected us. This has been true so far. And as far as it is true, we give those rulers the benefit of the doubt that that is what they are trying to do. Unless it becomes apparently true that that is not what they are doing. There are times where it is obviously so. Where they are not trying to protect us. But for the most part, and it still is true today, these rulers have been placed in authority in our countries, in our country and in other countries. So there are obviously there are obvious times when they step over the line, but I think that those are like probably still minimal. And our government, we must think, and this obviously too, we've talked about our government, but this doesn't just apply to our government. I'm not going to get into that part today. Um, I'm going to talk about our context again. But our government uh, is still in charge. They are still in authority over us. And I believe, as hard as this is for me to say, because I am a government cynic and skeptic, I believe that still, for the most part, the things, if the government follows um, the Constitution as well as they can, it is inherently for our good and for the good of others. So, we saw that the government was placed in authority by God. But also we know that um, the government was placed into that position for our good. To help. To lay down the law. To enforce the law. There's a third reason last week that I did not discuss. I didn't get to. I mentioned it to you. But we'll kind of start here today. Look at verse 4. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. I mean, this is specifically talking about a king. This is, in our context, talking about the president. What is the third layer of government authority that Paul lays out? The government is instituted to bear the sword. To bear the sword. The government holds what I believe Paul is saying, the God-given power of the sword. Those in government determine, based on the laws that have been written, how a person should be punished when they break the laws. Now Paul is simply saying, if you want to avoid the sword, or if you want to avoid the wrath of the government, then obey the rules that have been instituted. But the government does have the authority, I believe the God-given authority, to punish wrongdoing. Now, a sword is about more than just punishing. A sword can be wielded to punish the citizens of that government, but a sword can also be wielded to protect the citizens of that government. And that is the government's position also to protect the citizens of this government. As a matter of fact, in the military pledge that they do before they are, um, whatever, commissioned. commissioned, there you go, um, they say, uh, I promise to uphold and protect 
This is not word for word. I probably should have done that if I was going to mention it. Uh, The Constitution of the United States, I promise to protect it against enemies, both foreign and domestic. It is the role of the government and then the authorities that are put in place to protect us and to enforce um, law. So there's two parts to God's prescription to justice. Um, they They are to protect but also they are to uphold the law. And I think there's two parts to that. The criminal must pay personally for what he has done. That's the first part to the government's responsibility to uphold justice, to bear the sword. The criminal must pay personally for what he has done. And his payment should go, I believe, directly to those that he has harmed at an equal or greater rate than he has caused. This is how the Bible lays it out. The Bible lays out a prescription that the person who commits a crime should pay back what he has paid and in certain or what he is what he is criminalized, I guess. And then at a certain point, he should give even more back than what he has taken. Therefore, it is my deduction that um, The prison system, again, I'll say it from last week, should not be to reform criminals, but it should be where criminals pay back the crimes that they have committed. And the standard for that, for the government, is an eye for an eye. The government has the God-given right and the responsibility then to enforce these laws. Now I'm going to say something that may be harsh to hear, But this is what I believe the Bible has instituted and I believe it's true today. If a person kills a person in a premeditated way and an intentional way and that can be proven in a just way, then that person should lose their life. That is how the Bible has prescribed it and that is how I believe is the most just way. When we take a humanitarian approach to justice, What we do is we take a humanitarian approach for the criminal and not for the one who is offended against. When we preserve a life of someone who is killed in an unjust manner, in a premeditated way, or in a way that was out of wrath or vengeance, what we are doing is we are saying the life of the person who is murdered is more valuable than the life of the person that was taken. I believe the Bible prescribes to do that, and I believe that is what is just. If you want to talk privately about what I think should be done to sex offenders and rapists, we can do that, but I'm not going to get into that right here. I think a person who steals should pay back what he stole, at least to the level of what he stole. And sometimes the restitution should be even greater because of the harm it causes to the people. Our systems should be set up in a way that it does not reward criminals, but it rewards the victims. Right now, that is probably not completely true. Now, we could get into countless discussions about how crime should be punished, but that's not why we're here today. Ultimately, the government must justly punish, as well as the system allows at that time, criminal activity. And that God has put them in here, in their positions, to do that. And it may not seem like anything to you, but it does to me. Those judges, 
those people in authority will be punished. They will have to give an account unto God for their just or unjust punishment of criminality. Now, Paul goes on to give one more reason why I think it is vastly important. And this is the one we're going to stick on for the rest of the time. Look at verse five. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, which was mentioned in verse four, but also for the sake of conscience. But also for the sake of conscience. We should not just obey the state in a pragmatic sense, friends. This is what I'm forced to do. This is what I'm told to do. This is what I have to do. But Christians should obey the government and the laws of the lands because the Spirit of God compels their conscience to be good citizens. The Spirit of God compels our conscience and guides our conscience to do what is right. Now we see this from this text and others that obeying the law is the right thing to do. And because we have a Christian worldview that leads us to do what is right, not because we are told to, not because we feel guilty if we don't, but because we are doing it as unto the Lord for the sake of Christ. Beyond the fact that obedience maintains order, it guarantees our freedoms, it protects people, it protects the vulnerable. Beyond the fact that we're called to obey governing authorities, obedience to the governing authorities, especially those that we disagree with, honors God in a way as if we're doing it unto the Lord Himself. It is a sweet offering and a blessing to him when Christians who disagree with the policies of Joe Biden love and pray for Joe Biden. It is a sweet aroma to the Lord when Christians who hate and disagree with the policies of a Democratic run House or maybe even a Republican run House or Senate and disagree with those policies pray for uplift and act at a minimum in civility to those people. Because then and only then do we know that their behavior comes because they are doing it as unto the Lord. Not out of compulsion, not because the person, not because they can be a cheerleader for the person that is in leadership, but because they love Christ and they know that they are going to be held accountable for every idle word, every action. And so they attempt to do everything they can as unto the Lord. And it honors God. Now, I'm not going to go into civil disobedience again, but our conscience gives us an even greater reason. It gives us a great reason to obey, even more so than compulsion. But it gives us an even greater reason to disobey. Friends, if we are being led by our conscience to obey, then we are, when we are being led by our conscience to disobey, when we see it necessary, we then are also honoring the Lord. But we have to be consistent. We have to be consistent in the way we follow the commands and laws of the authority that God has clearly placed over us. Our conscience allows us to know when 
why and how long we should obey. Your friends who are not Christians or maybe those who are should think you're a little weird for the stances you take. Not because they're all anti-government. Not because they all end up with you in a bunker somewhere. They should think um, they're a little weird because obeying God and honoring authorities is more, a co- is more complicated than just saying, I'm going to keep the law. It's more complicated than just saying, I'm going to obey my president. It requires thought. It requires biblical knowledge. It requires dependence on the Spirit of God and many other things that we could list. So you could be adamant about one law or restriction and completely against another and still honor the Lord. Conscience will not let you make blanket statements about laws or rulers or authorities or personal decisions that you make. Uh, I'll give you some quick examples. I don't think that a person should be forced to make a wedding cake for someone they disagree with because of religious reasons. But I also don't think that that person can refuse service, general service, to that person on a daily basis. That person should honor their duty when they open the business to serve all people equally and not, uh, not um, deny service or whatever you want to say based on sexual orientation, race, ethnicity, or anything like that. I think when you bring a wedding into it, it's different. Wedding is an institution that is, was the first biblical institution. Uh, you, when you um, submit to what is going on in a wedding, you are saying not only do you approve of what's going on, but you give your stamp. You know you are a part of it at that point. You are in commission with that wedding at that point. So I don't think if a person disagrees to make a wedding cake, that they should be forced to, but I also do think that that same person should serve cookies to a homosexual during the week or whatever it may be. I think we should pay taxes, but I don't think that tax, taxes should be used to fund abortions or to pay for birth control. I think those are places where there is this level of discretion and discernment where it can't just be yes to this and that's it. Where it has to take some subtlety, some understanding, some distinctions. Your friends should, you should be a little enigma to your friends. Why you agree with this, but you don't agree with this. Truthfully, friends, when our conscience is our guide, it leads us to better decisions. It leads us, the Holy Spirit leads us to make decisions based on what is right and not what what is right now or not what is convenient or not what is just the obvious answer. With the Spirit's leading, friends, we become then the best of citizens. We become the people that other people want to lead. We should obey the government. As often as that does not dishonor the Lord. And not just when it is convenient. When we dissent, we should do it humbly. And with regard to the humanity and the hearers of all who might see our dissension. We should do it with kindness, with civility, with love, and truthfully with the gospel in mind. 
Friends, if our dissension is an affront or an offense to the gospel, if the way we perform that or enact that, then we are doing it wrong. And we are dishonoring the Lord. Our conscience should lead Christians to be some of the best people to want to serve over, to want to lead. Paul goes on. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to the very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Paul says because of this. What is the this? It's in verse five. He says also in verse five, you need to do this to honor God. And to avoid judgment and because your conscience leads you to do so. Taxes are an interesting thing. On some level, we are living in a time where we are not well represented by the money that is spent by the government. But there is no stipulation to paying taxes. Jesus himself said, render under Caesar what is Caesar's and one what to, unto God what is God's. He didn't say Render under Caesar when Caesar is doing what's right with the money. You have to realize Jesus knew what was about to happen to his disciples. Caesar was about to use his tax money to, if not already be built, but to build the Colosseums, to fund the Colosseums, to fund the execution of Christians along the Roman road that led up to the Colosseums. And Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. See, because God doesn't operate in time, when He gives a command, He gives a command unless He gives it explicitly with restrictions. He gives commands without restrictions. It wasn't like Jesus forgot or didn't know what was about to happen to the Christians. That he was leaving behind. That he was leaving with the Spirit of God. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that Rome was going to be responsible for mass persecution of Christians. And he says, render under Caesar what is Caesar. Friends, there are no um, stipulations for us paying the taxes that we owe to the government. The rule that Jesus had, because he doesn't operate in time, still applies to us today. I don't like some of the things that the government uses our taxes for. I don't think that the government should use taxes to go to endless wars. I don't think the government should use taxes to fund states that have objectively and openly been against the United States of America, which is happening. I don't think the government should use taxes to, uh, to pay for or supplement gender reassignment surgeries or abortions or anything in that realm. But there's not a stipulation. Those are even not stipulations on how I should honor the government. You know what is? Being held accountable to God and the conscience He gives you through the Holy Spirit of God. So what does it mean? It means that any income we earn is taxable and therefore 
a portion of what Caesar says is his at that time belongs to him. Our conscience and the fact that we are accountable to God should lead us to do the right thing as it pertains to paying taxes to the government or obeying any other law for that matter. Cheating on your taxes may fool the government, but it doesn't fool God. Bobby Bowden passed away this past week. He was, or the week before last, he was the a famous football coach for Florida State. Godly man, a Christian, also an awesome football coach. Uh, I read a quote by him that someone posted on social media in honor of his life, and he said, Your reputation is what people know about you. And your character is what God knows about you. And so what does your character say? What does how you interact with governmental authorities, with local authorities that are still in the government, with church authorities, with parental authorities? What is your attitude behind the way you do that? What does your character say about you? The only one that matters, friends, is not the reputation we build in front of others. But at that final judgment day, when we will all be judged, even if we are in Christ, we will be judged. It, only, it matters what God will say about us. We may fool the government. We may fool our friends. We may fool those who are in authority to us. But God knows all things. He sees all things. He hears all things. Nothing can be hidden from God. So that is why our conscience guides us. Not coercion. Not the sword. But God and His judgment and the conscience that is in us by the Spirit of God. Now, the government does have a responsibility to make sure taxes aren't going to, su to support their own private wealth. They do have a responsibility to not enforce taxes that are so overbearing on its populace that the populace cannot live, which has been true in times. Personally, as a side sermon, we'll call it a side soapbox. I don't know that this can be qualified as a sermon. As a side soapbox, I think a fair tax is the only just tax. Where everyone pays the same amount percentage-wise and not in proportion to what they earn. Truthfully, business owners and wealthy people who stimulate the economy should be rewarded for making and developing ideas that bring money to a system that help others. In our system, they are punished. You might say, well, those people didn't always earn their money. What about generational wealth? I've got a statistic for you. Ramsey Solution did a study of 10,000 millionaires. It's the most comprehensive study of millionaires that's ever been done to this point. They said, our study shows that the theory that millionaires are just passed down money, it blows that out of the water. Only 21% of all of these 10,000 millionaires that they studied, which is a representation of a larger um, portion, obviously, only 21% received an inheritance at all. Just 16% inherited more than $100,000, which is, 
which if $100,000 is a lot of money, but in our time, $100,000 will get you about two years probably. And get this, only 3% received an inheritance at or above $1 million. So 74% of millennials and 54% of baby boomers think that millionaires inherited their millions. When only 21% of, all mil- of these millionaires studied at least um, inherited money at all. With a very small portion being a large amount. Do you know what percentage of the total population inherits money? 21% of the total population inherits money. So the vast majority of the wealthy people in this country worked to earn it and should be rewarded instead of punishing, instead of being punished. Jesus taught the same thing in the parable of the talents, where he used a financial illustration to bring about a greater spiritual meaning. This parable, if you remember correctly, he gave talents to his servants. He gave a larger portion to one and a smaller portion to another and a very small portion to another. And he left them with that. When he came back, he rewarded those based on what they had done with the gift that they had been given. Now, that don't get me wrong. That parable is specifically meant to speak to what we do with our spiritual understanding, the gift, the spiritual gifts that God has given us. But Jesus used this financial example, so obviously he did not condemn it, which gives a greater meaning that people should be rewarded based on their effort and their willingness to do, uh, to put themselves out there, to put themselves at risk. As a matter of fact, another example, the disciples said, if you don't work, you don't eat. Laziness should not be rewarded. Unfortunately, we live in a society where laziness is rewarded, where the lack of um, forthrightness and going out and risking it all. The opposite of that is rewarded. So we should look at that parable as the spiritual gifts that we have. But at the end of the day, those servants were rewarded For what they had done. And our system should reward people. For giving to the system. Through taxes. Because the truth is. We want as many prosperous and rich people in the country. Because that means that there is more going back to the system. That runs our country. Soapbox over. Paul ends in verse 7. Pay people what you owe them. Not just, not just pay taxes. Pay people what you owe them. If someone does a service for you, pay them. If it's not exactly what you thought it was going to be, pay them. If it's not exactly what you thought they, it was going to be and they don't try to make it right, pay them less. But pay them what your conscience leads, them, leads you to do. Pay people what you owe them. Give honor to where honor is due. We honor the president. We honor other leaders at the federal and state level. We honor local officials. Friends, I'm not just saying this because I'm up here. Okay, I'll let someone else read it from the Bible if you want to. But you honor the elders of your church. 
As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the elders, especially those that are responsible for preaching and teaching, are worthy of double honor. I want you to know I did not conspire with Timothy to write that. That was written long before I could conspire with Timothy to write that. Hebrews says, obey and submit to those church authorities that are over you, those elders, those leaders that are over you. But also obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's the commandment with a promise. The promise is that if we obey our parents, our life on this earth will be long. That doesn't mean that everybody that dies early didn't obey their parents. But I'm telling you, there is something to honoring your father and your mother and the longevity of a person's life. Obey the authorities. It's simple. Pay what people are owed. Obey the laws. Give honor and respect where honor is due. And He should be our primary motivation. God should be our primary motivation. The work that Jesus did to obey the Father, even when it seemed crazy to all of us to read that Jesus would submit Himself to the Father to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins when He was completely innocent, when it was completely unjust to kill Him, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could have life. That work of Christ, that good example should be our primary motivation. All of these rules we follow, the government authority that we follow, we follow those friends in order that our lives may be a demonstration of that great gospel. Since we are not going to give up our lives every day, or since we're likely not going to give up our lives like Jesus, when we obey government authorities, when we obey local government authorities, when we obey the authorities of the church, when we obey our parents, when we obey our bosses, as often as it is um, not dishonoring the Lord in all of those instances, we are a shining example of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And also, we are living in a way that honors God. So at the end of the day, He will say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Friends, that our lives would not be a hindrance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but would go to further His great name. That our nation may last and be built and rebuilt on the strength of Christians who see law and order and the goodness of of those things that God has established as healthy and as good for the whole populace. And that we would lead that charge. Even if you're like me and your propensities say to do otherwise. Will you pray with me? God, that we would just trust you and know that your goodness is greater than any goodness that we could formulate. That we would follow you and obey you and live a life that honors you. Father, would you help us to submit to the authorities that are over us as you have commanded? Would you help us to discern what is right to submit to and those rare occasions that it is wrong? And would you help us to do both submit and 
disobey when it's the right instance with the right heart and the right attitude that would further the cause of Jesus Christ and further the sake of the gospel. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We know that the things you have placed over us are for our good. And so even if we can't trust them, even if we don't trust our leaders of our church all the time, even if we don't trust our parents all the time, even if we don't trust our government authorities all the time, we can trust you as the great leader. We praise you for all that you've done and all that you're going to do in our lives. And we thank you and we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.